This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. It's anybody's fault as mine. Defense played well, our receivers caught well, offensive line blocked up well, put us in great positions to win the game. I just didn't take care of the football. Gave them seven points and also, you know, put them in a great position to honestly win the game. You know, that's something I got to fix, uh, something I'm going to fix. Honestly, you know, like I said, if you want to put any blame on anybody else, team played well. You know, I just didn't. Well, bowl games are obviously, I think, great in a lot of ways. So, you know, we'll have to wait and see what happens there. And otherwise, this time of year is is full of, you always hope is full of two things, the next phase of recruiting and uh, bowl practice. So if it just ends up being one of those, then that's what it will be. And that's at the stage here for another edition of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Dan Hoppen, Nate Klaus, Robin Washett, as you, you heard from Mike Riley there, and uh, quarterback Tommy Armstrong as Nebraska loses to Iowa 28-20 uh, this past Friday in their Black Friday uh, showdown game in Lincoln. And uh, obviously not the season Nebraska's wanted to have, not the ending they wanted to have. And um, I think really, Robin, this has left a lot of questions about Tommy Armstrong. As you look at this team and where they're at today at five and seven you know dan dan wrote a great breakdown of the the interceptions and kind of put it into perspective where things stood comparing what tommy has done savers taylor martinez um it just leads you to believe is tommy the guy going forward did we see you know he's gonna play a bowl game obviously but how much more of tommy are we going to see and how much better can he really get after 32 career starts yeah it's funny you know we're this far along into his career and that game was probably the worst game that he's played as a husker i mean he to his credit he came up there in the post game and put full responsibility for that loss with his four interceptions some of which you yeah i still can't even fathom what he was thinking when he was throwing the ball but uh you know i think most people's response to him doing that was well yeah it was your fault. <laughs> you you were the one that cost Nebraska the game. I mean, you can't. Put, I mean, he caught, gave Iowa seven points in a one touchdown game, and then gave, turned the ball over several more times to keep points off the board for Nebraska. And some of the throws again were just so confounding that uh, no, there was not even a receiver anywhere near. He's throwing off his back foot, reverting to uh, mistakes that uh, again have been plaguing him throughout his entire career. But uh, that was about as bad as we've seen from him. And Dan, I, so, some people put it on play calling um, because he's throwing the ball 45 times, but decision-making, the fourth and one, I mean, the play was perfectly called there, and he goes for basically the home run there. And in that scenario, and those type of conditions, completing the deep fade is such a tough play. That was just, an, I mean, simply put, an awful decision. And I'm not saying an awful decision by Danny Langsdorf, who is for some reason just taking so much heat. Seathan Carter on the left side is wide open in the flat. Danny Langsdorf did not call the wrong play there. Nebraska got what it wanted, but Tommy didn't take that. Tommy, he went for the home run ball. He pushed all his chips into the middle of the table, and like he did a lot of times against Iowa, he lost. And you referenced the numbers earlier, Sean. Tommy, over his career, is averaging 1.4 turnovers per game. He's second in the country with 16 interceptions. I mean, when you've got a team that has this many close losses, you just look at those numbers and you say, what if he just had four interceptions less or five interceptions less? Is that two or three more wins for Nebraska? That's how slim the margin of error is for this team. And you look at the turnover numbers, Dan, the fumbles this year were astoundingly low for Nebraska. 
maybe as low as we've seen in a long time. I, I mean, I don't. It, it's quite a statistic to dig up because you've got to. They don't just put the fumble numbers that readily available on pad. You got to go game by game and kind of look at it all. Uh, but I think you know it was all interceptions this year. When you look at eighty percent or more, the turnovers probably came off picks. Uh, yeah. Uh, 21 of the 26 were interceptions. So Tommy's got 16. Riker chipped in five himself. But yeah, Nebraska—that's the crazy thing. Nebraska is one of the has has one of the highest turnover numbers in the entire country. They've only lost five fumbles. That's a really low number. So you have to give some credit to this staff for coming in and whatever they changed. Um, Nebraska's done a lot better job hanging on to the ball this year. But at the same time, I think that you know that's. There's probably a little luck involved. Well, zone read and options have been kind of eliminated, and I felt like that yeah. was a lot of the turnovers yeah. uh, with the late decisions and options and zone read plays. You get a lot of fumble on those plays. And that's probably a little more understandable. The, the biggest issue I have with the, the turnover numbers is the fact how many of those were preventable. I mean, if Tommy goes to the right guy or doesn't try to... Be, Check it down. ...doesn't try to hero ball every single thing downfield and throw into double coverage, I mean, what's wrong with second down? What's wrong with punting? I mean, like, Tommy just puts his team in so many bad situations with those mistakes. And, you know, for every crazy touchdown heave to Alonzo Moore in the back of the end zone, throwing off his back foot while falling down, uh, you get from him, you get three or four just picks that are just completely inexcusable. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. I want to bring in Nate Klaus because this is a question and a debate that's going to go on now from all the way from here to August. And I'm going to start it off with you, Nate, because you know Patrick O'Brien as well as anybody. You've seen him play in person. We've seen him at the quarterback uh, camp or uh, the whatever you call it, the satellite camp this summer. What are the realistic chances with him being an early enrollee of coming in here and at least making Tommy Armstrong – uh, feel some heat. I think they're pretty good, actually, and and typically don't like to say that about an incoming freshman. I mean, I hate to, you know, say this, this guy is going to be the next savior of Nebraska football, and he's going to come in and and do this or that. But I think Patrick O'Brien legitimately has a chance to to play as a true freshman. He's different than what Nebraska's brought in, you know, for maybe the last ten years or so. Uh, he comes in very well coached, very well polished. Um, it, probably the the most well polished, you know, passer and overall quarterback that they've brought in for um, you know a long long time so he's going to come in and I know that the I think the staff's going to throw everything at him and see how he responds see if he can handle it and if he shows that he has a grasp of the system and can make good decisions I think they're going to give it to him because he's the quarterback of the future and Nate am I right or wrong on the statement that O'Brien is maybe the first quarterback that Nebraska's gotten that was really the guy they wanted I feel like under Polini. They took a lot of quarterbacks, but they never were really the guy they wanted. You know, Bill Callahan, Harrison Beck, you can argue, but they really wanted Mark Sanchez and yeah. Phil O'Machian uh, took the commitment of Harrison Beck before and canceled the Mark Sanchez visit. That's a whole other show and a whole other yeah. <laughs> uh, topic of debate. But they did get Zach Taylor that year as well, who ended up being the Big 12 player that of the year. That worked out all right. So yeah. that was a fine decision. But would you argue that this is the first time Nebraska's really gotten the quarterback recruit that they truly wanted? Yeah, that's absolutely true. This is the first quarterback that uh, that they really set out and you know and landed. You know, one of the first guys that they really wanted uh, that I can remember in 
in at least a decade or more because uh, you have to remember that Nebraska was his first offer. No one else was after him. Danny Langsdorf, Mike Riley recognized the talent, were the first to offer, and they wrapped up his commitment. And He's their guy, and I think that he represents everything that they want in a quarterback to run the system. And with the change at Oregon with Scott Frost, Terry Wilson still 100% committed uh, not looking at Nebraska anymore, but that was going to happen. I think I think it was going to to keep both those guys in this class. Uh, but that's the key. They need to create some kind of competition. Quarterback competition, Robin and Dan, has been non-existent at Nebraska. I mean, when is the last time you went into something and said this is a le- we we tried to make the spring? We're yeah. like, oh, Bush and Darlington are going to push Tommy. I mean, there, that was never going to happen. There just yeah. hasn't been a legitimate QB battle since Sam Keller, Joe Gans, and they didn't even really make that a battle. Yeah, well, I think- and I think I think that's part of the problem. Tommy doesn't have anybody breathing down his neck. He, you know, if he there's a couple interceptions, he doesn't have to worry about getting replaced by Riker Fife. <laughs> I mean, the coaching staff just isn't going to do. That. Yeah, I think the last legitimate quarterback battle was um, before uh, Taylor Whoa. Taylor Martinez is yeah redshirt well, freshman going into Taylor's. Starting year, yeah, you had, you had the incumbent Zach Lee, Zach Lee, and you had Cody Green, yeah, both as kind of recruited four-star guys. But that that was really the last time that we saw a legitimate quarterback battle. Other than that, you know, we've pretty much known who the guy was over the. I get a little bit Ron Kellogg, Tommy Armstrong, but that was mm. Tommy's job. Yeah. yeah, that was Tommy's. They they had Ron as. I mean, he was a perfect backup. But this, and it, who knows? I mean, we think this is going to be a battle going forward. Uh, I think this bowl game, Robin, will be big for Tommy just because people will remember how you finish, oh, yeah. and, and that will be something I think that will be big. And right now, everybody has the taste of four interceptions and basically handing Iowa a victory on your own stadium and you know letting them you know walk arm-in-arm arm across your field to IOWA chants echoing through your, your memorial stadium. So, I mean, that's, that's a bad taste that they left there, and uh, Tommy's got a lot of ground to make up. Well, we'll talk about this plenty from now until uh, the start of 2016, but uh, we still have 2015 business to continue. Uh, we're going to talk about bowl games, what looks good for Nebraska, what is maybe the best fit. That's next year. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Uh, I'd, I'd especially like a bowl game this year. I'd like to prolong my playing time a little bit. That'd be, that'd be incredible. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Dan Hoppin, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus, as we discuss bowl options now for Nebraska. And we'll, we will know by Sunday, probably around lunchtime, uh, what's going to happen. I mean, we've got a fairly good snapshot of the scenarios um, you know, the big thing, and it looks like it's going to happen, is the Big Ten will get three teams in the New Year's Six, Iowa, Michigan State, Ohio State. I mean, the only way it wouldn't happen is if, let's just say, Michigan State or Iowa gets blown out 59 nothing like last year. Then maybe a team like that could slip out of the New Year's Six. But I don't think anybody sees that happening at this point, uh, which means, you know, it's good for Nebraska because they, they slot up another bull notch and you know avoid Detroit <laughs> in yes. so many words yes. but you, you look at the scenarios right now I mean the, the projections Foster Farms on December 26 at 8 p.m. Um, Central Time it's a Saturday night it's that late Saturday game when you're getting home and there's that Pac-12 game on that's the game basically <laughs> that Nebraska plays same as last year's Holiday Bowl uh, Nebraska was a Saturday December Holiday Bowl game last year eight o'clock game um, you would play a Pac-12 team so that is by far 
I think the best option as far as opponent, the only negative would be the day of the game, December 26th. You're going to kill fan travel at that point. Armed Forces Bowl, December 29th, is another possibility. Negative is it's a 1 p.m. Tuesday afternoon game when everyone's working. Um, So it's just not going to be a great scenario. You play a Mountain West team, presumably Air Force right now. Uh, And then obviously Music City is kind of a pipe dream. I don't see that happening. And then you've got Detroit, the quick lane game on December 28th. But I think it's Foster Farms or Armed Forces. Robin, what do you think is the best scenario for Nebraska? Yeah, I mean, I think clearly the the day and location are the two shining points from the Armed Forces Bowl, but everything else as far as what's beneficial for Nebraska and the fan base is uh, the Foster Farms Bowl. I mean, for one, uh, you get to send the staff back to the Northwest, you know, Santa Clara and get to play in 49ers stadium. sparkling new stadium. And, um, you know, obviously they have all the ties out there, so that could be beneficial. Um, you know, and then the opponent is going to be better. Uh, the time slot on TV is going to be better, you know, eight o'clock kick on, on ESPN on a Saturday night against a pretty relatively good pac 12 opponent, probably going to be UCLA or Washington state, uh, from what we've seen. So, uh, you know, I think that that's you know, far and away, uh, the most ideal out of all those. I mean, maybe next to Music City, which isn't going to happen, like you said. Uh, but, you know, the Armed Forces Bowl, that Tuesday, 1 o'clock time slot, I mean, people are going to have to, like, stream that game at work on their computers or something like that just because that's just, like, the worst uh, possible, you know, TV-related time slot, I think. Yeah, there'll be a lot of people taking long lunches that day. What do you think, Dan? When you look at these options, I mean, do you stem to gain, obviously, more win or lose versus Pac-12? I just feel if you play, like, Air Force, no matter what happens, win or lose – you're just not going to get a good feel out of that game. No, that's kind of a no-win situation for Nebraska because they're expected to beat Air Force. So if they win, it's like, okay, congratulations, you did what you're expected to do. If they lose and it looks bad, I mean, I would just echo most of what Robin just said. I think he covered it pretty thoroughly. I know, you know, we've kind of said that the Music City Bowl probably isn't going to happen, but you look at that Nashville, Tennessee. Te- technically, it's drivable. Um, if uh, Nebraska fans would want to do that. It's on December 30th at 6 on ESPN against an SEC team. I don't think there's any doubt that's a really desirable yeah. location. But like you guys have said, it's probably a long shot at this point. Here's another thing about the Armed Forces Bowl. If it is, in fact, Air Force as the opponent, what benefit does that give your defense spending a month trying to prepare for the triple option? I mean, when are you ever going to see that again in the Big Ten? So, I mean, that. I don't know. I think that really kind of negates the whole theory of, you know, the the whole month extra practices that you get to going to a bowl. Yeah, I don't know how much traveling you're going to get. And money's not a factor. I hear people say, oh, Nebraska, they don't lose money on this. The Big Ten pays for the trip. So if you go to Foster Farms, last year the Big Ten gave the team $1.4 million Mm. to pay for the trip, the plane, the band, everything. And then you get your ticket allotment. And whatever's not sold, the Big Ten covers the bill on that, and then it comes out of the total bull check that every team gets at the end. So there is no money. There is, Nebraska's not going to lose money on this type of decision, whatever happens one way or the other. Yeah, and there just so happens to be quite a bit of Nebraska fans out west, too, that I'm sure would love that matchup. Yeah, it, I think Dallas, you get, get a good contingent as well, just because you know when Nebraska would play down in Baylor or – some of these Dallas area places in the Big 12, you would get a large contingent of fans that would go down there as well. So it's tough. I mean, that December 26 is the only deterrent. You feel for the players, Nate, they would lose Christmas. You know, that was one of the benefits when you played on New Year's Day. 
the players were able to go home for about four or five days. Um, that's not going to happen. You know, fi- this year at Nebraska, the final day of finals is December uh, 18th. So you're pretty much going to keep your players that, in Lincoln for another three or four days before they travel, where in the old days you were able to at least send those guys home for those three or four days. So that is the negative, I would say, of that Foster Farms game is um, the players. But they will get more time at home after the bowl game. They'd be home on the 27th. You get more time after the bowl game, uh, which, of course, isn't the same as being able to spend Christmas at home. I I think the biggest, um, you know, from a recruiting standpoint, though, the biggest advantage would be the Foster Farms uh, bowl game out there. Obviously, a lot of recruiting ties on the West Coast, uh, a lot of targets out in California, some commitments, some kids who are thinking about committing to Nebraska. So that would be beneficial. I think it would be good, too, for Nebraska to go out, you know, and and maybe – set the tone for next year if you could beat an eight and four UCLA team um, you know I, I think that would be really beneficial for Nebraska actually uh, provide a lot of momentum you know not only for next year's football team but also on the recruiting trail and if I was Mike Riley I almost honestly Robin would want to push to go out to San Fran as early as possible because if your finals in on the 19th or whatever it is and the game's on the 26th that's a, a week in between finals and the game so I don't really see the benefit of sticking around Lincoln a day or two. I mean, if you can get out, if they if they will allow it and pay for it, the university, they should probably go out there um, as early as they're allowed to. Yeah, and I think just looking at the bowl schedule, like the bowl week schedule out there, the teams are scheduled to arrive sometime on the 22nd. That, that is the, the latest possible they're allowed to okay. get there. So, so they, yeah. you, you can go as early as you want if you want to pay for it. I agree, too. I mean, because that you know just prevents any sort of you know issues with you know kids trying to have comp- travel complications, you know, if they do go home or something like that, then getting back on time and you just want to keep your guys together, uh, make sure everything's ready to roll. And you just want to be out there the whole week yourself. Hey, too. you know, <laughs> nothing wrong with a week in San Francisco. Right. Well, the game on a Saturday, you wonder if they would try, if that was the game, if they'd want to get out there on, say, Sunday so they could have a Monday practice out there and do a regular week. Yeah, get the normal routine going. Um, but it – it's such an early game. I mean, that is such an early – that's the earliest bowl game that I can ever remember mm-hmm. Nebraska playing. And I mean, they've never played before Christmas, and Mm-mm. this would be a day before Christmas. Day after Christmas. Day, yeah, day after. Sorry, day after. But it would, last year's was very early as well, and it's just that Saturday. I mean, these networks, obviously, there's about eight games on that Saturday. It's a really busy day of bowl games. Well, this is what happens when you go five and yeah. seven. I mean, you kind of got to – limited. Yeah, you take what you're given. You you know, you don't get a complaint about playing the day after Christmas or not being able to be home for the holidays. You have to, you know, they this, this is where they put themselves. They've got nobody to blame. Well, we'll know more about that on Sunday, as I said, and we'll have full coverage of the bowl selection and everything you need to know about the bowl game on Husker Online. When we come back on the show, we're going to shift the focus over to Husker basketball. Nebraska dropped a tough one in overtime to number 21-ranked Miami. We'll get Robin's thoughts, Dan's thoughts on, on the Husker Hoops team and kind of where things are at here in this non-conference schedule. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Is your team doing anything better than you ex- than you expected going into the season right now? I mean, you just pushed it to 21st 
ranked team in the country in overtime. And they might be better than that, by the way. Uh, well, I don't want to be the little engine that could. I don't want to be that program. And I don't mean to be relentless on these guys or whatever it might be, but we had some, you know, freshmen that got to get in a fight. I mean, that was a fist fight, so to speak. And when you go in that alley now, uh, you got to go in ready to go. And I thought we had a couple guys young tonight that weren't quite there mentally, weren't quite there physically. It was moving pretty fast for them. Hopefully they'll be able to adjust the next time that happens. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. The Nebraska basketball team suffered a tough overtime loss at home uh, in to Miami, number 21 ranked Miami. The Huskers now 5-3 and three as we bring our basketball expert Robin Washington as well as Dan Hoppin in here to uh, talk more about kind of the state of this season and where things are at. Nebraska did go out to Brooklyn uh, before that split up here. They played Cincinnati, a ranked team, very tough. Then they beat Rick Barnes and Tennessee handily and – Let's first start with the story out of that weekend, Rob, before we get to Miami. Ty Webster, a guy that we've been very critical about, um, has seemed to maybe have turned it on a little bit here the last week. Yeah, <clears throat> people have been waiting, you know, two years now for Ty Webster to be the type of player that, you know, everyone anticipated him being when he first came here as kind of an overhyped uh, recruit. And, uh, you know, it finally seems like he's settling in to that role. You know, I mean, he still makes mistakes. He's got 19 turnovers on the year. Uh, so he's been far from perfect, uh, especially that Villanova game. You know, I think that was probably one of the worst games he's actually played here. But uh, in the span of a, a couple weeks, he's been playing the best basketball of his career. I mean, that, that performance at the Barclays was uh, unbelievable. I mean, 39 points and 10 boards in two games. I mean, that's that's exactly what Nebraska has been waiting for. And, you know, you got he didn't have the best numbers against Miami. You know, he fouled out with only nine points. But, uh, you know, you saw more of those glimpses of him being more aggressive, attacking the basket and utilizing his strengths as a slasher, as opposed to getting kind of, you know, too nervous and jacking up bad three pointers and you know airballing them or bricking them off the side of the backboard that uh, we've seen him do in previous games. So it was certainly encouraging because he's got to be that guy if there's going to be that number three X factor on this team. It's going to be Ty Webster just from an offensive standpoint. And I think the most encouraging thing from him is one of his biggest problems is he hasn't been able to shoot previously. So far this year, he's shooting 38% on threes, 78% from the free throw line, 45% overall. That's huge for him. Well, and a big reason for that is he's reshaped the entire approach to his game offensively. You know, before he said that. Uh, you know, to start games, he'd be just so amped up and nervous that, you know, the first shot he would take would be some wild three-pointer, and he'd miss it, and that would set the tone for his entire game. Well, now he's just kind of calming himself down before games, going in with a, a cooler, um, you know, just, you know, narrow, even keel approach, and he's going inside out. He's attacking the basket first, taking higher percentage shots, making that building confidence, and then shooting three-pointers later on. So, I mean, it's just been kind of a, a whole uh, change-up in his entire approach and I think that's really paid off for him just from a confidence standpoint and Nebraska lost 77 72 this week in overtime to number 21 ranked Miami in the ACC Big Ten Challenge the Big Ten did win the challenge though uh, eight to six kind of large on part to the win last night by Iowa in mm -hmm. overtime over Florida State but I don't think a lot of people were giving Nebraska much of a chance and that was a very good showing Robin uh, on Tuesday night that Miami team was yeah. by far the best team Nebraska's ever played in that ACC Big Ten Challenge. Oh, no I mean, doubt. I mean, there, there were some legitimate pro players 
on that Miami There's team. There's first-round draft picks on, on that team. I mean, Jim Laranega even said so. I mean, this this is one of the best teams he's ever fielded, and he's had some pretty good teams. Uh, they're a, a senior-heavy squad with a whole bunch of talent and length. I mean, you know, Dan and I were talking. It's like, wow, this, this is probably one of the tallest, longest teams we've seen in person, and that even includes the Big Ten teams that we've seen. And, uh, you know, this is what Miami was ranked 15th at one point before an inexplicable loss to Northeastern that uh, probably didn't do Nebraska any sort of favors. If Miami wins that game and comes in undefeated, I think you got Miami feeling good about itself and, you know, they got a chance. Well, Miami had already learned their lesson. They weren't going to let anything, you know, slip past them or take anything for granted. So that certainly didn't help. But, you know, the, this Miami team, I think, is going to be, they're going to continue to get better and better and going to, you know, be, make a real push in the NCAA tournament. And Dan, there were a couple of big calls in that game that went against Nebraska, a couple charges there late in the mm-hmm. second half that, Easily could have been called blocks. Um, you know, it, the what did you think of just the way that game was officiated, um, the free free throw differential? But you know, calling Siobhan Shields on a couple big charge calls there late, I thought was as big of a moment in that game as any. Yeah, that was rough. Siobhan, I think, got two uh, late charge calls, mm-hmm. and he ended up with four fouls. So that's something that obviously got him in foul trouble. For the most part, I thought it was a pretty well officiated game, especially for the first 30, 35 minutes. You know, there were some 50-50 calls down the stretch, and the Nebraska fans certainly let the refs uh, hear their displeasure. There's no doubt about that. But, you know, you can't blame that game on officiating. No, no. I mean, you got John Higgins in the game, one of the top guys in the game. Yeah, you know, Nebraska got that game to overtime, and then they went 0-6, or 0-6 from the field in overtime. That's what it comes down to. They didn't make any shots, and I think that they were a little bit gassed at that point. Uh, Siobhan, who was, you know, kind of the engine that drove the thing, he was playing on a – with a cramp, and that's why Nebraska lost, not because of the officials. And by the way, Glenn Watson, I mean, when is the last time Nebraska's had a point guard that could hit those type of pull-up shots, the three-pointer that he hit that helps send the game to overtime? Some stones on that yeah. kid. <laughs> it, shows, it shows the type of player that he's going to be. I mean, his confidence gets bigger and bigger every time he steps on the court, and uh, he's gone without a turnover four straight games now. And, you know, uh, I think it's just a matter of time before you start. You see him take over that starting point guard spot, and Benny Parker becomes that guy off the bench. I, I think that that probably needs to happen sooner than later because, you know, I love Benny. I think he brings a lot to the table. But he, when you start the game with an offensive liability, let's call it what it is. He's not a pure scorer, and you know, in transition, he still does those things where he goes 100 miles an hour towards the hoop and throws up a wild layup and uh, kind of just negates what should be a positive play. Uh, you, uh, I know you want to lean on your senior, but uh, with the way Glenn Watson's been playing, I think you got to put him in there at some point. And Dan, we got to teach that kid a follow follow through though. His release on the jumper, I mean, it is the quickest follow through I've ever seen, um, and he makes it. I mean, even on his free throws, the guy does not hold his hand up to follow through. It's it, it's a bizarre shot that he has, but obviously it's been effective. Yeah, I mean that's kind of the thing when you see a guy who's got kind of a funky jump shot like that. You say, okay, do we want to work on that, or, and do we want to iron that? that out or do we just want him to be like a Sean Marion you know from from the NBA I mean he had one of the ugliest shots you'll ever see but but he was a good shooter because he taught himself that and he was able to just go through it so Glenn's shot is a little bit flat right now Mm -hmm. I think they'd like to put some more arc under it but I mean if the kid is if he's going to make it then you don't care what it looks like all that matters is that end result all right you're listening here to the Husker online show as we we talk Husker hoops Nebraska now five and three Robin uh, they have five more non-conference games remaining. Assumingly, three of them are automatic wins. Abilene, Christian, Sanford, Prairie View. Um, so that gets you to eight and three. 
you got two what I would dictate as swing games mm-hmm. at Creighton. And Creighton lost uh, earlier this week to Arizona State by two points. They played them very tough. That was a back-and-forth game. This is definitely an improved Creighton team from a year ago. And then Rhode Island coming to Lincoln. Um, This is uh, a very, very big two games for Nebraska because the difference, say, between 10-3 versus 8-5, 9-4, it's pretty big in my opinion. Well, yeah, and you look at those two swing games. Winning in Omaha, I don't care what – Creighton looks like that's tough I mean that and especially in this series uh, Nebraska hasn't won in Omaha in a long time for a reason and so if they can split that Rhode Island Creighton game I think that that's probably best case scenario and like you said uh, that that gives them you know a closer to 9-10 win chance uh, get you in more NIT type contention sure and other things pads the resume but here's an important thing too this begin this Saturday's game against Abilene Christian is going to start seven straight games in the state of Nebraska keep in mind this team and you know the first two or three weeks of the season went all the way to Philadelphia and back all the way to Brooklyn and back and had played what eight games in 17 days or something like that so this team is worn out so to be able to just stay at home recharge get into a routine I think is going to be vital especially for a young team that is still transitioning to college basketball and then they'll get a nice holiday break for eight days before Northwestern comes back to Lincoln so lots of talk about uh, a big week ahead here for Nebraska basketball we come back here on the program we will give our latest stock report. Who's trending up? Who's trending down? You're listening to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. You know, I think that uh, probably what we saw before is why they won today. It is is not overly dramatic, but I, I guess the best way to say is that that is a solid football team. And that was Nebraska head coach Mike Riley giving his thoughts on Iowa and, and just what he thought of the Hawkeyes being 12-0 and after the Black Friday loss. Welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. And uh, Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Dan Hoppen, and Nate Klaus as we open the stock watch segment. We start with Iowa stock up as they will play in the Big Ten championship game against Michigan State. And it, it won't be a sexy title game. I've actually heard one national analyst call the Big Ten title game a beauty contest and sweats. <laughs> I thought that was pretty a, good. Yeah. A pretty good analogy of, of you know, it's not going to be full of glamorous pro players on offense. It's, I mean, Connor, I, I kind of disagree, but it's just not going to be a you know a glamorous game, but it's going to be a fun game to watch. I think so, and I think it's going to be you know pretty evenly matched. Um, I don't think, I don't really see either team running away with that game. Although, you know, I would have said the same thing to some extent last year. Uh, yeah. But, but yeah, I, I think it'll be fun. It'll be fun to see Iowa, you know, get matched up finally against a top 10 team. I know that they can only play who's on their schedule, but they don't exactly have a lot of really high caliber wins. This is their chance to prove it against a really good Michigan State team. All right, let's stick on stock up. Nate Klaus, what do you have? How about the, uh, you know, the former Husker quarterbacks moving up the coaching ranks with Scott Frost getting the, the Central Florida head coaching job, uh, former Husker Zach Taylor being named the offensive coordinator for the Miami Dolphins, um, you know, some, you know, former Huskers really making some some big moves out there, um, you know, moving up the ranks, potentially, you know, some, um, you know, future Nebraska, you know, head coaching targets, uh, you know, down the road. So I- interesting to see this happen. And how about this, Nate? Zach still has not been back to a Nebraska game since his final game here, the Cotton Bowl against Auburn. 
so hopefully someday he does get back here and, and get his due. Absolutely, and and I know that he wants to. That's something that uh, that he would like to do. He'd like to come back for a game. I, I know that he would like to to coach at Nebraska one day. Uh, he's a guy, you know, for only being a JUCO guy, has a tremendous amount of loyalty to the program and uh, really accomplished a, a lot in, in his couple of years in a you know kind of a, a turbulent uh, you know couple of years there. Yeah, I, I think just knowing Zach from back covering him back in the day, he's one of the best guys you're ever going to meet. No and I mean, just just from a personality standpoint, I mean, he, he you you can't help but root for that guy. So certainly, want some of the best news to come out of the week. It's not not surprising to see that how far he's come up the ranks, um, you know, in his coaching career. All right, we're moving sticking on stock up. Uh, Nebraska had just one first team All Big Ten selection, and Dan, the table is yours. Sam Fultz, I, I predicted before the year that he would do this, and, and he had a great season. He led the conference, averaging 44.4 yards per kick. Uh, he won the Edelman Fields Award, which is given to the Big Ten's best punter. I think the most impressive thing out of all this is, remember, he got injured in the yeah. opener against BYU. I mean, he that ankle was really bad. The trainers actually initially told him that it would have been better if he had broken that ankle instead of spraining it so badly but he only missed one game and he pretty much told me the other day in an interview that he's only felt good for about the past three or four weeks so that means he was punting injured in seven of eleven of the eleven games that he played and he still managed to take this award also if you haven't done it yet head over to Husker Online and check out the story Dan did on Sam to put a lot of work into it and got a whole bunch of different sources and uh, probably one of the better long-form features you'll see especially on a a great story with Sam all right we're sticking on stock up here Uh, Robin we're on basketball what do you have yeah I gotta go with Siobhan Shields you know season high 28 points and (laughs) took 25 shots made 11 Uh, I mean he was basically a one-man show for Nebraska in that game and you, you especially look down the stretch in the second half uh, he was the only thing really driving Nebraska that keep him in that game uh, certainly an impressive individual effort and I know a lot of people watching that game saw it as you know, Siobhan being selfish and you know not passing the ball and yeah he probably missed some open kickouts but keep in mind there weren't anybody calling for the ball wanting to shoot I mean, Andrew White kind of was a non-factor uh, you know didn't even take a make a shot in the second last 10 minutes of the second half and on into overtime uh so it was it was basically everybody clamoring for Siobhan to basically take it over and you know Tim Miles said at the same time they they, they thought that was their best option because they didn't think Siobhan couldn't get a shot all right let's move it out of stock downs and I'm going to start out with Tommy Armstrong we led the show off with this topic and uh he was number two in the nation in interceptions that was missing one game so who knows where he'd be if he would have started and played in all 12 games as Nebraska threw a lot of picks in the one game he did not start at Purdue. Uh, but just not the the season, the ending, any of us expected, and a big reason why Nebraska is 5-7. and seven. Uh, Let's move over now to Dan. What's your stock down? Um, well, my stock down is just the targeting rules in college football. We saw Nebraska kind of get bit by this in that Iowa game. Nate Gary uh, ejected from the game in the second quarter, so luckily that means he won't have to miss any time Uh, in the bowl game at least that's my understanding of the rule I don't think it was a bad call by the officials um, just based off the letter of the law that Nate was ejected but I think that in the offseason that this rule needs to be looked at and it needs to be ironed out a little bit more things need to be made more clear because there are some real gray areas here on what's targeting what's a personal foul you know what and getting a guy like that ejected for a game is a is a very big deal so college football just needs to take a look at that 
All right, let's stick on stock down as we move forward. Robin, what do you have? I'm going to go stick with basketball again and go to the idea of the moral victory. I mean, uh, Nebraska has three losses on the season now, all the top 25 teams. Two of those, uh, the Cincinnati game came down to the final minute and obviously overtime loss to Miami. Uh, so, I mean, there's this narrative that, you know, maybe Nebraska should, should feel good about how close they played these top 25 teams but came up short. Well, that's not what Nebraska's thinking. They're not there to just to be the lovable losers, or as Tim Miles said, the little engine that could. I mean, they, they expect to win, and to, they want to take this program to the next level where they win these types of games. And to be 0-3 against the best competition you've played so far uh, does not leave a good feeling. And that's kind of been the message that, that after that Miami game is that, you know, we're not here just to give it a good fight and, you know, try and play close. We want to win these things. And so, um, you know, there, there's certainly no moral victories being had by Nebraska right now. Well, beat Creighton this week. That's what it comes down I'll to. I'll do it. All right. And then let's close out with recruiting. Nate Klaus, what is your stock down? Stock down is the impending recruiting Armageddon that's going to be upon <laughs> us because with all the coaching changes, that are out there rumor central yeah i mean, I mean rumor central I, I mean with all the changes that are out there i don't think that anybody any any kid that's committed to a program is is safe i, I think all bets are off right now uh with all the changes i think uh, we're going to see a record number of decommitments and flip-flopping and and everything you know the, the word commitment hasn't meant what it used to for mm -hmm. a, quite a while but we're really going to see you know uh see the stuff hit the fan here pretty soon. I think it's going to get pretty crazy. It's going to be fun, and uh, you and Mike and Brian Munson are going to be working overtime trying to chase that no down. Pro about it. Probably won't really start picking up, though, until about mid-January when, when the dead period's over. That's right? when that's when things will get real, real nuts, uh, is in January, those last final weeks uh, leading up to signing day. Once once the dust is kind of settled with all the coaching changes and, and you know all the staffs are in place, it, it's going to get crazy. Well, that should be fun. We'll, we'll, we'll talk more recruiting next. Robin, Dan, enjoy your weekend. Enjoy the Big Ten Championship game and everything else. And uh, we will close things out with recruiting next. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And back here on the Husker Online Show, Sean Callahan and Nate Klaus as we close things out with recruiting and uh, Nebraska lost the game to Iowa this past weekend, but they did have a very successful recruiting weekend out of it. Landing two commitments, uh, Nate, uh, let's start first with punter, kickoff specialist Caleb Lightborn. This is one that you knew was going to happen. It was just a matter of when he got the visit set up. The game got moved to 2.30, which allowed him to come in, and, and Nebraska solidified that commitment. Yeah, it was only a matter of time until Nebraska landed Caleb Lightborn. This is a kid that uh, Mike Riley and, and Bruce Reed had been on for over three years now, uh, going back to their time at Oregon State. He had camped at Oregon State. They were well aware of him. And, and he's not your typical punter. He's 6'3", 215-pound athlete uh, that just has a monster leg and is actually ranked as a five-star punting prospect uh, uh, you know, by Chris Saylor, one of the kicking gurus out there. So, um, And they have a plan in place for him. They want him to come in red shirt and basically learn from Sam Fultz for an entire year. So and he's 100% behind that plan. Absolutely. the key. Yeah, he, he loves Sam Fultz and um, you know, he believes that Sam is an NFL punter. He wants to come in and learn from Sam and soak up as much as he can from him and uh, and then basically take over once Fultz leaves so uh, and be a four-year starter, which I think is is a good uh, good plan. Uh, it's something 
that, that should work out very well for Nebraska. Um, and he's excited about being a part of the class. You know, I, I think from a fan's perspective, I think, uh, you know, landing a punter is not all that exciting, but this is a good take. And then Nebraska lands a, a safety commit, Nate, from Brandon Drayton. And he's not somebody we really know a whole lot about. I mean, you look at his rival's profile, he's got a lot of offers, but you know, he's only been updated four times, twice in April and then twice twice here in, in uh, October or November. So why was he so under the radar? Was he just one of those guys that wouldn't pick his phone up? Or what, what was the reasoning why he was kind of so under the radar till this past week? Well, he's a he's a quiet kid to, uh, to begin with, first and foremost. He's not a guy that's the, you know, been overly accessible by the media uh, to do a lot of updates. Also, I mean, tremendous athlete, obviously. Uh, when you look at his film, it's easy to see why he has so many offers. But on the on the flip side, I, I do think that he has had some academic hurdles to, to overcome, and which has kind of scared off you know some teams after they've offered, I believe. And so um, you know, I think Nebraska feels confident that they can get him qualified, get him in here, uh, and and I think it'll be a tremendous fit in that defensive secondary for Nebraska. Uh, but uh, that's I think that's one thing that you know maybe some schools have kind of backed off a little bit after they offered and and you know got the transcripts uh, and. and kind of seen how things have played out on that front. So Nebraska now with 16 verbal commitments, and I'm not even going to ask you what the number is going to be because it, <laughs> it probably drives you crazy. Um, two, two things I'm not going to ask you. Who's the next commit going to be? <laughs> Who are the next three commits going to be? Yeah. Kevin Kugler asked me that on Big Red Wrap-Up on Tuesday. Like, who's the next commit? I'm like, gosh, I don't know. I mean, it's it's – well, especially this time of year, everything's so fluid with the coaches being out on the road during the contact period, being in, in living rooms, you know, uh, with all the coaching changes, there's kids opening up their, their recruitment and uh, expressing new interests in new schools all the time. I mean, it's it's almost impossible to say this is for sure the next commitment because really there's a pool of about 15 to 20 guys that, that it could conceivably be. Now, you look at this week on the road, uh, a lot of action. I mean, almost too much to cover. When you have 10 coaches out, Mike Riley included in the nine assistants, um, I mean, you, you could spend all day calling and chasing down leads and kids. But what were maybe the two or three biggest things that came out of the week for you on the road? Yeah, we could we could sit here and talk about, you know, all the kids Nebraska saw for the entire podcast if we wanted. But I think, uh, of course, the the visits by Mike Riley were probably the most important. Because um, he look, can only do it one time. You right? can only you only get one shot as a head coach to be in the living room uh, with a kid. And, and Nebraska col- pulled out the big guns early on to kind of make a statement with a number of prospects. When you look at uh, David Reese, who, um, you know, visited for that Michigan State game. And, and you're going to see a common theme here. A lot of these Michigan state visitors like David Reese, Markel Simmons, uh, Desmond Fitzpatrick, all those guys, um, you know, are heavily leaning towards Nebraska. Nebraska spent a lot of time in their homes. But uh, David Reese had uh, Mike Riley, Trent Bray, um, and uh, Mark Banker in his home. He sent So Nebraska sent the head coach plus a couple of the defensive staff uh, to the to the home. It kind of set the bar, really, with a lot of these in-home visits. Uh, and he's going to be taking a trip to TCU, but I think you know, as a mid-year guy, he's—I think—he's heavily leaning towards Nebraska at this point in time. That I was able to speak with his father, and he was uh, really, really um, elated by how well that that in-home visit went, and especially because uh, uh, it just it gave his wife another opportunity to become more comfortable with the staff and everything. Um, as uh, you know, as 
their son is going to be heading off to, to college here pretty soon. Desmond Fitzpatrick, who just so happens to be uh, David Reese's best friend, hosted uh, Mike Riley, uh, Coach <laughs> Keith Williams, Mike Cavanaugh in home last night. And, uh, and that visit went extremely well. Another kid who's I think is leaning towards Nebraska. He is going to take a couple visits, but uh, the key thing here is that he scheduled a return trip to Nebraska because his mom wasn't able to come back for that Michigan State game. So she's going to be coming back in January, uh, and that will be the last visit they take before they commit. So I think Nebraska is looking good for the four-star wide receiver out of Michigan. And then Markel Simmons is another player, uh, the Juco safety out of Arizona. Um, you know, Mike Riley was the first guy to, to come into his home down in Phoenix, uh, be able to meet with his parents. They also had Mark Banker and uh, – uh, a couple other defensive assistants like Trent Bray were in his home, and that visit went extremely well. He's going to be deciding here pretty soon. And uh, Maurice Chandler on Thursday is hosting Mike Riley um, and a couple other defensive assistants. So you kind of see in, uh, a common theme with a couple JUCO um, defensive backs, and then uh, a couple you know high school kids that are that are mid year enrollees that are uh, important priorities this week. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show as. Uh, we talk recruiting. And yeah, let's preview the weekend ahead here for Nebraska. You, you already touched. There's three visitors confirmed today uh, for Nebraska. There's always a chance mm-hmm. things could change or happen. But uh, Matt Farniak visited Nebraska unofficially for the Black Friday game. He will now make a return trip to Lincoln uh, this weekend. What do you know about Farniak and where things are at? This is the only official visit he's set up at this point. He plans to make an announcement by the U.S. Army All-American Bowl, correct? Well, that may have been been pushed back a little bit now because uh, Nebraska is the first official visit. And there's only one taken. more weekend that you can go before the Army games. That's so. right. So, and there's only one more weekend. Now, obviously, it's Nebraska and Iowa at the top right now, and, and I think it's pretty close race between the two teams. I, I, I feel good about Nebraska's chances. I think Nebraska feels good about their chances, but it's definitely not a lock by any means. Uh, the good thing is he, he came for the Iowa game. You know, was on campus last weekend. It's coming back again to be on campus while Iowa is going to be playing in the Big Ten Championship. Uh, so I, I think that's a good sign. You're getting the family on campus back to back weekends. It'll be the sixth or seventh time that he's visited Nebraska in the last year, year and a half. So um, he's built a, a great uh, relationship with his coaching staff. Really loves Coach Kavanaugh, who was in his home on Monday night. Uh, spent a long time, um, you know, with the family in the in the house. Um, and I think that uh, Nebraska has done all the right things. I know his high school coach and, and the Farniak family were extremely impressed with Mike Riley heading out to, to Sioux Falls the day after the Rutgers game uh, to kind of be there at their, their homecoming, you know, the welcome home celebration after they won the state ch- the state championship, uh, you know, that weekend. So uh, he, And Mike Riley went all by himself, spent all day there in Sioux Falls at, at the, the pep rally, and really just, I think, blew everyone away way that that the head coach went all by himself not with an assistant he sat in there you know and and hung out with just the all the fans from Sioux Falls all day long because he couldn't actually really talk to Matt no, Farniak can't even talk with Matt Farniak at that point in time so or his parents or his parents so I mean but it but it sent a message uh it sent a message that Nebraska uh wants Matt Farniak badly and he's probably you know arguably their top target they the definitely you know offensive tackle is a position of need I think they they need to take at least two to three in this class um, and Farniak's right at the top of the list. Yeah, last question here. One of the other visitors that will be here, Jordan, is it Noel? or Jordan Noyle. Noyle uh, from Hutchinson. 
Very impressive frame at 6'2", 190. He's an early enrollee defensive back. Only other offer is Stephen F. Austin. Um, what do you think plays out this weekend with him? It's kind of puzzling that he only has uh, the uh, Stephen F. Austin with offer. being an early enrollee. Yeah, being an early enrollee. You know, it's not like he's a you know a five eight corner or anything like that. Like you said, he's got a good size at six two one ninety. His 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 film is fairly impressive, um, but I do feel like he may be kind of a backup plan right now for Maurice Chandler um, or Markel Simmons because uh, Noyle is a kid who could play corner or safety, uh, but it's it's been pretty clear that Nebraska uh, is is wanting to get uh, Markel Simmons and, and Maurice Chandler um, wrapped up sooner than later. So I think he is a quite, kind of a backup plan at this point in time. But if and when Nebraska does offer him, I, I think he'll – I mean, it'd be a no-brainer for him to, to snatch up that offer immediately. So they can afford to kind of slow play him. Well, Nate, one more hard week for you before a nice long break. So keep your head above water these next uh, seven, ten days. Yeah, it'll be good to kind of get uh, recharge the batteries a little bit over the Christmas break, and then uh, hit it hard uh, during the home stretch leading up to signing day. All right, that puts a wrap here to another edition of the Husker Online Show. Thanks again for joining us this week on HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. 